Well, this morning we're beginning a new series um, on the book of Ruth, as we just had read to us. And Ruth is it's quite a small book that at first glance seems very small in its focus and its impact in the Bible. It tells about God transforms the life of one little family living in the small town of Bethlehem in Judah over a number of years. I mean, so far, so nice. But why are we looking at this book? Why do we think this book has things to say to us here in Oxford 3,000 years later? I want to say that a book like Ruth can suffer particularly in comparison with other books in the Bible, like, say, the book of Daniel, we've just finished looking at in the mornings. See, for those of us who were here the last few weeks, we saw that in that book, God called Daniel and his friends to positions of great authority and influence in the Babylonian Empire. See, Daniel and his friends, they met kings, royal officials, soothsayers during their time in Babylon. And they were a great influence on them. God used them to influence the issues of an entire empire through their faithfulness. So the book of Daniel was set in the corridors of power. And now this week, we turn to this small story of Ruth. A small cast of characters, a small town, with seemingly little influence on the world around them. So why do we bother? Why do we study this book? Why is this in the Bible at all? Well, one reason I'm glad we're looking at the book of Ruth this week is largely because it is such a contrast to books like Daniel. The book of Ruth is very different to Daniel. And that big difference is a big part of its message to us. Because see, the story of Ruth shows God at work in the lives of very ordinary people. There are no kings or prophets or priests in this story, at least not until the very end we'll see. But in this story, we're going to see that God works amazing things through the faithfulness of his people. Even when their lives can appear undramatic, unspectacular, resolutely ordinary, God can still work through his people. I want to say that sometimes it can be hard for us to relate to the great biblical characters like Daniel. As all the dilemmas and choices they seem to face are on such a grand scale. So perhaps it's in the very ordinariness of the book of Ruth that we find things we can relate to more readily. Because the dilemmas and choices the characters in Ruth face are simple ones, but they're ones that many of us have had to face in our lives. Things like, how can I provide for myself and my family? Will I get married? And if so, to whom should I get married? How can I practically demonstrate the love of God in my everyday relationships. See, we need to stress from the outset of this book that this family is unique. That the family of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, God was using them at a unique point in history in unique ways. So we cannot expect that all the things God did for them, he's going to do for us. But once we acknowledge that, once we see there are loads of great truths that we can get from this book, that we can grapple with, both about God and about ourselves and what it means to trust in God. So the message of Ruth, very briefly, is that God works through the faithfulness of his people to bring about his eternal plan for the world. And that God works through ordinary people. And the challenge this book's going to leave with us as we look through it in the next few weeks is, basically, will we be faithful in the ordinary, even mundane things in our lives? 
how we manage our jobs and our money, how we relate to our friends, our family, our other relationships. Will we be faithful to God so that God can help us and use us to bring people to himself? Because that is God's eternal plan for the world. To bring glory to himself by calling sinful, undeserving people like us into relationship with himself through Jesus. We're going to see that Ruth and her family have a vital role to play in that plan. But if you're a Christian here this morning, you also have a vital role to play. We are all called to live lives that delight in God and that actually call other people to delight in him as well. See, God can bring people to himself through ordinary people like us. If we ask him to transform us and enable us to live in such a way that we make him known in our lives. So the book of Ruth encourages us that in the ordinariness of our lives, God is there and God will use us. And the only remarkable thing about God, the remarkable thing about, about the people in this book, sorry, is the God in whom they trust and the faithfulness they display in him. And we can learn from both those things as we look at this book. There's one other reason why I think Ruth is a really important book for us to look at in the next few weeks. And that's basically quite simply because it's a love story. It's not that clear in Ruth chapter 1, but when we come to chapter 2, the book of Ruth is just a very simple love story. And as such, I think, it's a helpful reminder to us that the message of the whole Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is at its heart a love story. And we mustn't forget that. See, sometimes as Christians we can get so bogged down with all the things we have to do in our church life, with what we believe from the Bible, with how we differ from the world around us and even from other Christians. In the midst of all that, we begin to just see God in a bit of a grey light. We see him sort of as a cosmic manager or a cosmic pastor, harried by all that he has to do in the world, who's basically only sticking with his people and his purposes because, well, that's his job. He's got to do that. See, if that's how you ever find yourself thinking about God, then the book of Ruth is a really helpful reminder to us that the God of the Bible is a God of love. He is a lover, the Bible tells us. He is a God of passionate love. And he works out his eternal purposes for his people and for his world because he loves his people, because he loves his world. It's because God loves us that he created such a glorious world for us to live in. It's because God loves us that he sent his son into this world to die for us. It's because God loves us that he remains committed to us in spite of our weakness and our faithlessness. See, Ruth reminds us God is a God of love. And it's my hope and prayer that this book of Ruth will really teach us great things about the love God has for us and how we can respond to that love. So those are some of the reasons why we're looking at the book of Ruth for the next few weeks. But let's turn to Ruth chapter 1 now, we just had read to us. Again, we've entitled the series on Ruth God's love story. But as we had Ruth 1 read to us a moment ago, I hope we saw that this love story has a pretty grim beginning. There's not a lot of love or joy in chapter 1 of Ruth. I'll just read verse 1 for us again. In the days when the judges ruled, 
there was a famine in the land and a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab see the writer set the scene for his story by telling us it takes place in the time when the judges ruled and the time of the judges the Bible tells us was a time of chaos and violence in Israel's history See, after Joshua had led the people of Israel into the promised land, the next generation of people just quickly forgot about God and started worshipping other gods of the nations around them. And as a result, God handed them over to violent raids from their neighbours so that in this time there was a great number of violence and chaos in the land of Israel. And periodically God would send a rescuer to help them, a judge, someone like Gideon or Samson. But on the whole, the people of Israel kept on forgetting God and rejecting him in their lives. This period of history was a time of violence and anarchy for Israel. Not the ideal setting, you might think, for a love story. And worse than that, verse 1 tells us that it's set in a time of famine. So an already bleak period of history has become even bleaker. And without food, this family from Bethlehem decide to travel to Moab, the neighbouring country, to find food. And verse 2 tells us the man of the family was called Elimelech and his wife was called Naomi. Now in the Bible, and in the Old Testament in particular, names are very important. Often they tell us a great deal about the individuals that bear those names. And Elimelech's name is a great name in the Bible. It means, my God is king. Whereas Naomi means pleasant one. See, this couple have really noble names, really appealing names. Elimelech's name suggests he is a God-fearing man, while Naomi's name suggests that she is a lovely woman. So with names like this, what could possibly go wrong in their lives? But very quickly, things do go wrong, horribly wrong for this family. Just read verses 3 to 5 for us. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. See, in those really short verses, the writer of Ruth tells us how Naomi's world falls apart. In Moab. By verse 5, Naomi, the pleasant one, has lost everything. Her husband, her two sons, everything that matters to her. And the refrain in verses 3 and 5 is a really telling one. And she was left, verse 3. And she was left, verse 5. While her family members die around her, Naomi is left to survive on her own. We've already met Naomi when she has lost everything. See, this is a time of famine and a time of loss for Naomi. And commentators discuss whether Naomi and Elimelech were being punished by God for moving to Moab. See, Moab certainly wasn't a friend to Israel at this time, and the people there worshipped other gods. Also the fact that after Elimelech's death, Naomi allowed her sons to marry Moabite women 
is taken by many to point to Naomi's lack of faithfulness to God. Generally in the Old Testament, intermarriage between Israelites and other nations was prohibited. And when it happened, it usually had disastrous results. So is God judging Naomi's family here? Well, the writer doesn't tell us directly. But we're going to see in a moment how Naomi sees God's hand at work in her life. But what is clear is that Naomi and Elimelech's decision to move to Moab has been a disaster to them. And immediately, I think, this story asks us some very big questions. We think about Elimelech's name, my God is king. Well, is the God of Israel really king, as his name claimed? And if so, why did he let Elimelech and Naomi's sons die? And if God really is a king, well, what sort of king is he? See, Naomi's experience might suggest he is a cruel king. See, these questions about God are still ringing in our ears when we finally hear God's name mentioned for the first time in verse 6. Read verses 6 to 7. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would lead them back to the land of Judah. See, at this stage in the story, we might not be sure what God it is that Naomi trusts in. But verse 6 tells us that the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant name of the God of Israel, had come to the aid of his people. More literally, the Lord had visited his people and taken care of them, provided them with food. And when Naomi hears about this, she sets off for home, along with her two daughters-in-law, the Moabite widows, Ruth and Orpah. And from this point onwards, Ruth 1 is basically a tale of three women. And each of these women helps us to explore just who the God of the book of Ruth is and what our response to him should be. See, in verse 8, we finally hear Naomi speak. And her first words are to urge her daughters-in-law to leave her and to return home to Moab. Verses 8 and 9. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So Naomi thanks Orpah and Ruth for their kindness to her since the death of her sons. More than that, she blesses them both in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, for their kindness. But she urges them to go back to Moab. And at first, Orpah and Ruth both refuse. And their loyalty to their mother-in-law is both striking and actually very touching. Here, verse 9b. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. They want to stay with Naomi. They love Naomi. But then Naomi speaks again. And we finally get an insight into this woman's heart after she has lost her husband and her children. Verse 11. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? 
No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. See, here we see Naomi's heart. She feels she has lost everything. She went to Moab in the hope of finding food and a life for her family, and she returns to Bethlehem empty, with nothing. She is hurting, she is mourning, she is bitter. And the object of her bitterness is the very Lord she has just invoked to bless Ruth and Orpah. So Naomi is disappointed with God. And disappointed is perhaps too soft a word really. We could say distressed or bewildered by God. So Naomi is struggling to understand God and his ways towards her. See, like a good Israelite, Naomi believed that the Lord was a sovereign God. She believed that he was in control. But the problem for her came with the fact that that meant that the Lord had allowed her husband and her two sons to die. Then in verse 6, Naomi hears that the Lord has come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. And as she prepared to travel home in Bethlehem, you can almost imagine her questions. Well, if the Lord has brought an end to this famine, why did he allow the famine to occur in the first place? Without this famine, my family would have remained in Bethlehem and my husband and sons might still be alive. And if the Lord is able to come to the aid of his people during a famine, why didn't he come to the aid of my family and prevent Elimelech, Malon and Kilion from dying? See, these are huge questions for Naomi. And I want us to see that she refuses to let God off the hook. See, I've often heard Christians try to excuse God from the bad things that happen in our lives and in our world. And they sort of do that by claiming that God would stop those things happening if he could. But somehow he can't. But I want us to see here that Naomi refuses to take that way out of her questions and her pain. In verse 13, she feels that the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Not the devil's hand, not another evil force's hand, but the Lord's hand, the covenant God of Israel's hand. And at the end of this chapter, she tells the women of Bethlehem to change the way they address her. Her name, Naomi, the pleasant one, no longer fits, she says. That's verses 20 and 21. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. See, Naomi is angry at God. And the sort of searing honesty of Naomi makes a lot of us feel uncomfortable. When I was looking at this passage this week, it made me feel uncomfortable. See, many of us here who are Christians are just not accustomed to voicing our feelings about our lives and about God in the way Naomi does here. Naomi accuses God of causing her misery, of being against her, and she says she is now bitter as a result. Naomi is deeply disappointed with God. And as we look at Naomi here in Ruth 1, I want to suggest to you that there are many people like Naomi in our world today. 
It's said that if you live long enough, you will lose someone close to you. If you live long enough in this broken and fallen world, you will know what it means to suffer pain and loss and grief. I've met many people like Naomi in my life, both people outside the church and people inside the church. I can think of at least one close friend of mine whose experience of suffering has prevented him from putting any trust in God at all and has led him to reject Christianity completely. And even just a few days ago, on Friday night, I was picking up some teenagers for a youth group social. And um, one of their friends about the same age, who knew I was a Christian, just announced to me very, very loudly that she didn't believe in Jesus. And I asked her, why? And she smiled and she said, because he doesn't make sick people better. So there are lots of people who feel like Naomi in our world. And Naomi's feelings about God are deeply familiar, therefore, to us. We know where those feelings come from. They come from that disparity we see from a loving God who is in control, who does good to those who trust in him. But on the other hand, those times in our lives when we seem to experience pain and grief and loss. And as Christians, the Bible says we need to be prepared for times of pain and loss. We need to be ready to face them. Because if we haven't faced them already in our lives, one day we will face them. Like Naomi, we will face times. We will accept that God is in control. We may even recognize that God is blessing other people. As Naomi recognized, God was blessing the people of Judah by bringing an end to the famine. But we will not feel that God is coming to our aid. We will not have the experience of God's blessing for ourselves. And as a result, we may resent God's goodness to others and question God's willingness to help us. We will all come to points in our lives where we just cannot understand what God is doing in our lives. And the reason for that is a very simple one. It is that we are not God. We do not see the end from the beginning. We don't understand everything that happens in our lives and what purpose different experiences may have. But you see, the amazing thing is, God still calls on us to trust him. We are called to live, not by sight, but by faith, if we're Christians. And living by faith isn't just living in blind hope, as some people like to caricature it. But let's be clear, the life of faith for a Christian will always involve some mystery, will always involve some uncertainty about what the future might hold, whether for us or for people we care about. And the key characteristics of a life of faith is placing our trust in the God who holds the future, the God who's revealed himself through Jesus, even though we do not know what the future holds even though we will struggle sometimes with the things that will happen to us you see trusting in God having to trust in God is a deeply humbling truth for any Christian to grapple with because it's an acknowledgement simply that we are not in control and it's also a necessary step 
for us to take in our relationship with God. Because it's only through placing our complete trust in God, even, even then we accept we will not always understand what God is doing, that then God promises to reveal more of his glorious character to us and use us powerfully to point others to him. See, the example of Naomi poses a challenge for us this morning. Will we trust in God and even praise him for his revealed goodness and character even when we are struggling to see what he is doing in our lives? Or will we become bitter about God, as Naomi does here, and risk turning away from him altogether? So that's the position Naomi finds herself in at the end of Ruth chapter 1. And it's a position we all may find ourselves in at various points in our lives. See, what can we do to avoid that way of bitterness? I think Ruth 1 gives us a few helps for this. First of all, don't be too quick to blame God. So we've already seen here that Naomi may at least be partly to blame herself for the tragedy that has befallen her family. There's at least a hint here that moving to Moab was a bad idea for her and her family. And the remaining in Bethlehem, among God's people, would have been wiser and more trusting of her. And this is a painful process for all of us to go through. But when feelings of bitterness and disappointment with God begin to arise in us, we need to look at our own hearts and ask ourselves the painful question, is what I'm going through part of God's discipline of me? It may not be, but that is a question we need to ask. Is this pain less random or meaningless than I might first think? Might this be God dealing with part of my life that needs to change, that needs to be transformed by him? See, let's be clear. Our sinful natures will always rush to blame God for any difficulty we face. But it's up to us to trust in God's word more than we trust in our hearts. And to admit that God in his loving wisdom may have great purposes for us, even through suffering, even through loss. So don't be too quick to blame God. The second thing is don't be too quick to reject the help of others. Naomi urges Orpah and Ruth to leave her. And she refuses to allow the women of Bethlehem at the end of the chapter to celebrate her return. So Naomi's bitterness leads her to reject the help of others. And so she fails to see others as a demonstration of God's love for her. And that's a very human instinct. When we are bitter, when we are in pain, we may want to cut ourselves off from people. And above all, if we're Christians, we may want to cut ourselves off from God's people. But thankfully, God provided Naomi with Ruth. And we're going to see in a moment, Ruth refuses to be rejected by Naomi. See, let's not be like Naomi here and be so quick to drive people away when we are struggling. If nothing else, asking people to pray for us when we ourselves feel unable to pray for ourselves is a vital step towards us trusting in God again. There will be times in our lives when our relationship with God will feel so impaired that prayer seems impossible. And that is when we need other Christians to pray for us, other Christians to pray with us, and to tell other Christians what to pray 
for us. So if you know of someone, even today, who is suffering, who is struggling at the moment, perhaps the Lord is calling you to be a roof to that person. Perhaps the Lord is telling you, don't give up on this person. Pray for this person and don't let them drive you away. Because it is in times of crisis, times of doubt, that God's provision of other Christians becomes so precious to us. Because we are not designed to face those times on our own. God has given us brothers and sisters and we need to rely on them in those times. Just as Naomi was forced to rely on Ruth. Another key to avoiding that bitterness of Naomi maybe is don't be too quick to write off your life. See, Naomi basically does that at the end of Ruth 1. But I want us to see that there are three chapters in this book to come. God isn't finished with Naomi yet. He has great plans for her. And God may not be finished with you yet either. He may have great plans for you here and now in Oxford. See, we're called to trust in what we know of God's character and to trust in what we know of our future hope if we're Christians. Because thanks to Jesus, we know far more about God than Naomi did here. We know that ultimately his plan for all of us is that we enjoy life in his presence in a new creation. And the Apostle Paul, a man who is well acquainted with suffering, assures us that any present suffering we have now is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So don't write yourselves off just yet, the work the Bible tells us. And finally, remember, God is big enough and gracious enough to cope with your questions. See, so far we've looked at Naomi as basically a negative example of pain and suffering. But I don't want us to miss the wisest thing she does here. She actually goes back to God. She returns to God from Moab and she is honest with him. So Naomi could very well have stayed in Moab, remained bitter towards God, but just remained cut off from God and from his people. But instead, she takes the long road back to God and she is honest with him about how she feels. See, Naomi's example here tells us, don't hide how you feel towards God in times of suffering. So often we try and suppress our questions, deny their existence, seek to convince God, those around us and ourselves that everything is fine. And Christians are amazingly prone to do this, maybe British Christians particularly. You see, let's learn from Naomi here. Let's be honest with God. You could say she is too honest with her feelings. And certainly to express our questions and struggles to wide numbers of people probably is unwise and unloving to other Christians. That may cause them to struggle. But if you're struggling to understand God's ways in your life, be honest with Him and be honest with a trusted Christian friend or friends. We've already said that God calls us to pray for and care for one another if we're Christians. So find some Christian friends who can pray for you in these times. Find some Christian friends you can be honest with about your questions. See, God provides that for us 
And God is big enough to take any questions we have of him. So we see that Naomi is disappointed with God in Ruth chapter 1. But finally, and very briefly, I want us to spend the rest of our time looking at the other two women in this chapter. Orpah, and in greater detail, Ruth. Now all we know about these two women, by verse 14, is that they come from Moab, they marry Naomi's two sons, they're widows like Naomi, and they are extraordinarily devoted to Naomi. See, up to verse 14, both women are willing to leave their home country and go and live with their mother-in-law. And I think that maybe says something remarkable about Naomi's character. Perhaps before she suffered all this pain, that she inspires such love and devotion from her daughters-in-law. And up to verse 14, there is nothing to choose between these two women. But in that verse, their two paths diverge. Naomi has expressed herself in the most extreme language that Orpah and Ruth would be better off back in Moab. There they can find a home and a future. And with Naomi, there is just despair and a vindictive God. And Orpah and Ruth's response comes in verse 14. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. I want to see that Orpah and Ruth are a deliberate contrast for us in this chapter. See, after an astonishingly persuasive plea from Naomi, Orpah chooses to go back to Moab. And after all, Naomi is right. With her, there is no hope of a husband or a home. Back in Moab, Orpah can start again. In human terms, Orpah makes the wise decision, the sensible choice. There goes the pointer. <laughs> but Ruth, on the other hand, clings to Naomi. And Naomi cannot understand it. Verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth's reply is a staggering declaration of faith here. Ruth replied, verse 16, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. See, in what is a dark chapter of Ruth, in the midst of all this pain and loss and bitter questioning of God, Ruth's faith in God it's like an unexpected light that breaks in to this chapter. See, Ruth chooses to devote herself to Naomi, to Naomi's people, and most amazingly of all, to Naomi's God. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And Ruth's decision here is astonishing. Naomi has explained to Ruth just how responsible Naomi thinks the Lord is for her suffering. She has told Ruth that the Lord's hand is against Naomi. And yet, Ruth chooses to devote herself to the God of Israel, to the Lord. In doing so, Ruth is sacrificing her hopes of a husband and a family 
by staying with Naomi. And Naomi has said as much. Ruth's decision to stay with Naomi and to place her future in the hands of Naomi's God is breathtaking. And it looks like madness. But we're going to see in the rest of this book, Orpah's decision looked like the sensible one. But it's the one that turns out to be the wrong one. Ruth's decision, while it looked foolish, while it was costly, is actually the right decision. Because in the end, God is going to richly bless her for it and to use her powerfully for his purposes in the world. See, to see Ruth's faith, we just need to contrast her with Orpah. Both are loving and faithful. Both go above and beyond the call of duty with Naomi. But ultimately, when faced with the full cost of staying with Naomi, Orpah turns back to her people and her gods. But Ruth stays with Naomi and stays with Naomi's God. In human terms, Orpah does the right thing, but it will be Ruth who enjoys God's great blessing as a reward for her faith. It's Ruth, who at the end of this book is going to be honoured as the great-grandmother of King David. It's Ruth the Moabites who is included in the people of God. It is Ruth who will be mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. See, Ruth's faith in the Lord looks insane in Ruth chapter 1. But God rewards Ruth with a place of honour in his eternal purposes. Orpah, on the other hand, while making a wise decision in human terms, is in reality walking away from the living God. Walking away from life and from grace and from a future. Ruth and Orpah stand in this chapter as two choices we all face. Two ways in which we all could live. The question Orpah asks of us is, will we turn back as Orpah does? See, Orpah followed Naomi and Ruth for a while, but ultimately turned back when it just seemed too costly a decision. What about us? If you're a Christian here this morning, is your obedience to Christ dependent on things looking good now in the present? Or will you follow him even when that involves sacrifice and pain and mystery and questions as Naomi experiences here? So in some ways we can see Orpah in Jesus' parable of the sower and the soils. See, some soils in Jesus' story looked really promising. They grow the seed for a while. They look as if they're accepting the word of God. But in the end, other things become more important to them. Other attractions like money, like popularity. Other worries like money, like lack of popularity. They squeeze Jesus out. That's what Orpah does. She follows to a point, but then she turns back. Will we fall into that mould of Orpah? Will we just follow Christ when it suits us for a little while, but then when it looks too costly, will we walk away? Or will we be like Ruth in this chapter? Will we recognise the costliness Involved in following Jesus. We acknowledge the sacrifices we may have to make to follow Jesus. But will we follow him anyway in the knowledge that Jesus alone is able to give us eternal life, forgiveness of sins, 
and a relationship with God to enjoy. See, like Ruth, the decision to follow Christ looks foolish in human terms. It looks stupid to a watching world. And it looks costly if all we're living for is today. To the world around us, Orpah is the smart one. But we're going to see in this book that Ruth's decision is the right one and is rewarded by the living God. And any decisions we make to remain faithful to Christ and to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness will be the right decision too. See, Ruth's faith in God is remarkable in this chapter. And Ruth's love for Naomi is also a picture of God's love for us. See, what we see here, Naomi doesn't deserve Ruth's love. She is a bitter old woman in this chapter. And in certain moods, I get very impatient with Naomi here. I can think, why does Ruth bother with Naomi? Why does Ruth sacrifice so much to remain with this woman and to care for her? Naomi doesn't deserve that. Surely all this questioning, this bitterness, it would just wear her out. But then I'm forced to admit, Ruth is a picture of God's love for his people. And none of us deserve God's love. God's love for us is not dependent on our goodness, our patience, our faithfulness. God's love for us is dependent on his love for us. Just as Ruth chooses to devote her life to a bitter old woman like Naomi, so the Lord chooses to call bitter, selfish, faithless people like us into relationship with himself through his son, Jesus. See, Ruth is a picture of the covenant love of God here. She is a picture of God's grace. This is the love that shines through in Ruth chapter 1, shines through the darkness and the bitterness of Naomi. And this love, God's covenant love, is a love that can break through all the darkness and bitterness of our world. And it can call people like us out of that world into new life with him. See, God's love for our world is even more undeserved than Ruth's love for Naomi. It led him to send his son to die on a cross so we could be forgiven and enjoy new life with him. And this is the God who called Naomi and Ruth home to Bethlehem as this story begins. So we leave Naomi and Ruth at the end of chapter 1, living in Bethlehem. Naomi is disappointed with God. Ruth has just decided to put her trust in God. I don't know which of those two women feels closer to your experience this morning. But we're going to see in the coming weeks what God's plans are for them and just what sort of God he reveals himself to be in their lives. But let's just see as we finish. Naomi is a demonstration to us that we will not always understand God's dealings with us. That there may be times of questioning and doubt in our lives. But Ruth tells us that we can know enough about God to put our trust in him. And that putting our trust in him through Christ is the best decision we can ever make. See, verse 22 tells us, Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem 
just as the barley harvest was beginning. The famine is over and God has great plans for his people. If only his people will trust him.